Hi, my name is Kimberly. In November 2009, my brother, who was my best friend, was killed in Thailand. Why he was killed and who he was killed by are two questions that I still don't know the answer to. There's some stains on your photo. They all cracks on your rusty frame. So I was the first born to my mum and dad, and then two years later, my beautiful baby boy brother came along. My dad was a Vietnam veteran and he really struggled with a lot of issues that I never understood back then or probably my mum did either and so they split up when I was three and my brother was one. My mum found a new partner and at the age of five for me and three for my brother we moved up to the Sunshine Coast and that's where I grew up. My brother and I grew up up here. So what was life like as a child? My brother and I had a really beautiful childhood, a living on the Sunshine Coast. We lived Nooseville River. We were out on the water every weekend, swimming, go mini bike riding. We were really happy kids at school. I remember my best friend at primary school, she still tells me that when we met, I was eight, she said that I just stood out because I was this kid that was running around, always smiling. So my mum had made a beautiful life for my brother and I up here and we had a really happy childhood and Ben and I were really close. We did have a really fantastic childhood. Where things got a little bit tricky was when Ben turned eight. He was the smallest in his class and then he became the biggest in his class basically overnight and he went through puberty. And it turns out that he had a tumour in his pituitary gland, which made him go through puberty. So he was a teenager as an eight-year-old. So we didn't know. He was the only boy in Australia to ever have this issue. There was about eight girls and it was very limited knowledge about it. And he was on some trial medication to see if that would help stop the growth. At that time, I guess from the age of eight, I've always been scared that I was going to lose my brother. Ben and I started our first business when I was nine and he was seven or around about that time washing cars. So we'd go around, we had a bucket and a chamois and we'd go around to all the neighbours and we'd um, wash their cars for $5 and we'd take about an hour per car, we'd split the $2.50. Ben was an absolutely gifted entrepreneur. So he started his computer business at the age of He would have been 13 or 14 when he started his computer business that went on. By the age of 20, he was already a millionaire and he was employing all of his friends from school and he was doing really well in the business world. And he didn't have any education. He basically left school at 16, never went on to uni, but he was just one of those people who just didn't need to study. Tell me about your brother and his travels, because he travelled a lot, didn't he? When I was in high school, I went to Japan. That was my first trip. I was a student. I lived with a Japanese family. And that's when my eyes opened that there was a bigger world out there. And so my passion was always that I I wanted to travel. Ben had his business still going. However, he was starting to have health issues, pretty severe health issues. So his business started to fall behind. And by the time I came back, his business was not trading anymore and he was suffering with health a lot and I thought okay I'm going to take him over to Thailand because I've done this retreat over there before where you do yoga and you eat really healthy and you cleanse your body and um, I wanted to give that to him so I said I'm taking you over to Thailand and that's that's how Ben ended up in Thailand. 
Can I ask what his health conditions were? Was it to do with the tumour as a young child? I don't know that I'll actually ever know that. Once he became an adult, he stopped including us in the progression of his health issues. I would say he was misdiagnosed with maybe some sort of depression. He didn't sleep very well when he did. He'd have really bad nightmares. His skin became all infected. No doctor ever seemed to be able to help him. He was really stressed because he was losing money in the business and every time he tried to sleep he'd have these nightmares. So he wasn't getting sleep but he was trying to sleep all the time Um, and he became very withdrawn. I've heard that in 10 days if you cleanse your body it can cleanse your whole bloodstream and so I thought if I took him over there I could cleanse his body and give him a healthy kickstart. So he was happy to travel with you when you asked him to come along? Yeah, he said yes straight away. So I booked it for August 2007 and we were going over to do a 10-day healthy cleanse, like a body healthy cleanse. We were supposed to be there for 14 days. 10 days was supposed to be the detox and then we were just going to chill out in Paquette for a little bit. At the end of that, he had this energy that he hadn't had since I'd been back from London. I had never seen him with energy before and he all of a sudden got this energy and he had all these business ideas. He started to see all these business ideas that he could do over there. He just had this passion back and he said, I'm not coming home with you on the flight. And I said, what do you mean you're not coming home with me? And he said, I'm going to stay over here. I've got some business ideas and I'll come back in a few months. I ended up getting on the plane on my own and coming home that time. Then I went back and visited him often while he was there. Every chance I could, I'd be back over there visiting him. He had all these different businesses over there with foreigners. He had a a bar, but at the bar, um, one of the guys had a Thai girlfriend and she didn't really like them having attractive waitresses so they weren't allowed to have any attractive waitresses so that one didn't do too well <laughs> and then he um he had a go-go bar in Bangla road which is the main street he was part of that within about three months of him living there he had a photographic memory he was really interesting with the stuff that he would remember and the conversations that you'd have with him he knew a lot about a lot of stuff and i'd wonder how he managed to remember all this stuff and Within three months, he could speak Thai fluently. We'd go out to a restaurant, he'd go, oh, those Thai people there are talking about us saying that we're buffaloes, which is a really derogatory term in Thai for foreigners or Farangs. So he was fluent in Thai and he saw this trade opening up between Australia and Thailand. So he wanted to start a business with me where we do importing, exporting from Australia to Thailand. So he had all these really incredible business ideas. How do you feel about introducing him to Thailand? That's... Oh, I thought I was taking him over there to help him with his health. Um, Looking back now, I have blamed myself a lot because I know if I hadn't have taken him to Thailand, this would have never happened. And mum has said to me, you know, I knew it was a bad thing you taking Ben to Thailand. I knew he wasn't coming home. You spoke about the different businesses and the success he was having over there with his different bars. Then what happened? Ben was in Thailand for just over two years. A lot of things happened while he was over there. The moment that changed forever was on the 27th of November. It was a Friday in 2009. My brother rang me and he said to me, I'm in trouble. There's a plan for them to kill me in Patong tonight. 
And I said, what do you mean? And he said, I've been set up, I'm in a lot of trouble, and there's a plan for them to kill me. I quickly got home, raced upstairs and got onto my computer and I found a flight home that was at 7.30 that night that we'd get into Coolangatta the next morning and I said, Ben, get on that flight. I'll pay for your flight. I'll pick you up at Coolangatta tomorrow morning. Get on that flight. He was staying at his friend's house. I found out now that his friend had him staying at his house secretly because they were trying to get him away from his girlfriend at the time. Something funny was going on there. So he was kind of hiding out from his girlfriend. He was in a lot of trouble. So I tried to get him on the plane and he said, if I leave here to go, something's going to happen to me. And I said, what if I get the consular over there to take you or somebody from the embassy to take you to the airport and put you on the plane, will you go? And he said, yes. So on my landline phone, I rang up the department in Canberra and I said, please help me. My brother's in trouble in Phuket. I need to get him on a plane at 7.30 tonight. And the lady said to me, look, we're not an escort service. If you want to help your brother, you'll need to go to Thailand and help him yourself. However, we will send out the honorary consular tomorrow to do a welfare check on him. I got off the phone from them and I said to Ben, you wait exactly where you are. I'm coming to get you. Don't move. I'm coming to get you. I looked and there was a flight leaving Coolangatta early the next morning and I rang up my friend and she said she could get me there but I wasn't able to actually book the flight. I think it was too late for me to get on that flight to be able to book it. And so then I ended up not taking the flight until the next one which was Sunday morning and I thought that'll give me time to get packed and get over there. As long as he stays where he is, I'll be there as quickly as possible. On the Saturday night as I was packing, it was about 10.30 our time which would have been about 7.30 Thai time this incredible, overwhelming feeling came over me and I just knew that I was too late. I got on the plane the next morning. Mum actually drove me to the airport and I said, Mum, I don't think I don't think this is a good outcome. I arrived in Thailand on the Sunday morning. That day I got in touch with all of his friends trying to find out exactly where he was. I'd gone to the place where he was staying and his wallet was there. His mobile phone was there. He hadn't opened up my last text that I'd sent him on the Saturday. There's no way my brother went anywhere without his phone or his wallet. We had a meeting, all of his friends, trying to work out where he was, piecing together his last few days. The following day, one of his friends spent the day with me, backtracking everything, and then in that afternoon, the honorary consular rang me up and said, a body's been found out to sea. And I just handed the phone over to my brother's friend and started uncontrollably crying. The honorary consul said, look, it's probably not your brother, but we need you to come down and see. In my heart, I knew it was my brother. I went to the honorary consular's office and he showed me a photo on the computer and this person was absolutely unrecognisable, having been in the water for two days. Um, then he said, OK, we're going to have to go down and physically view the body. So we drove an hour to the hospital and when we got to the hospital, they pulled out this metal thing and it wasn't even refrigerated or anything. They just pulled out this metal thing and it was his face first but I couldn't recognize my brother it didn't look like my brother he normally wears a watch a ring 
and a, a, a chain. He was wearing no jewellery and he was wearing no clothes. And I was just looking going, that's not my brother, that's not my brother. And I just asked them to pull it out further and further and further until they pulled it all the way out. And I looked at his feet and I said, those are my brother's feet. And they said, are you sure? And I said, they're my brother's feet. The thing that is a bit strange looking back now is that somebody had already been there to identify my brother, had positively identified him, had already leaked it to the news over there saying that a popular young expat had died. Today in News, by drowning and that he'd um, walked into the sea and done it by suicide. Somebody knew my brother had died and had gone and identified him and leaked out that it was suicide before I'd even identified my brother. I had to ring my mum and I said, Mum, Ben's not coming home. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, Mum, he's not coming home. And she just started screaming. And um, her friend, uh, Annie Marg, took the phone and I tried to, I couldn't actually say the word he's dead. I, I couldn't say that for years. Um, I could just say he's not coming home. That was all I could say. She absolutely lost it. Um, and she's she has never, ever, ever recovered since then. There was a lot of bizarre stuff that happened. The honorary consular said to me, was your brother a really strong swimmer? I said, oh, what do you mean? And he said, well, seven kilometres out to sea, would he swim as far as seven kilometres? And at the time, I didn't even think of how far seven kilometres is to be swimming out that far. Apparently, the way that the tides were, if he had have committed suicide and walked out into the water, his body would have washed back into the shore. There's no way he could have gotten out seven kilometres. I was in shock at the time. I was just putting one foot in front of the other. The police were involved at the time, but they were absolutely useless. You wouldn't want a loved one to go missing over in Thailand because it's not like in Australia. It's a completely different set of rules. The autopsy didn't come back until about six months later. It took about six months to get back to us in Australia and the autopsy basically told us nothing other than he died by asphyxiation of drowning. How do you get seven kilometres out to sea then? The only thing that I can think of is that he was dumped out to sea. He was taken in a boat and put out to sea in the hope that his body wouldn't be found at seven kilometres out. Who did find his body? All I was told was that his body was found by a fisherman who had come across it and brought it into shore at the Meridian Resort on the coast of Thailand, which was a few kilometres south of Patong. And it came to that resort in front of all the people that were holidaying there at the time. When we stopped recording, Kimberly told me that tens of thousands of dollars was withdrawn from his bank account only days before his death. There has been no further investigation into the cause of Ben's death. Kimberly and her family are still searching for the answer. I went back to Thailand every year after on Easter and I would always go to the spot where Ben was last seen and I'd watch the sunset and have a beer. My brother loved Corona with lime and I'd have a beer and think about him. The lady at the embassy in Bangkok at the time 
said to mum and I, please go home to Australia, go to 60 Minutes, go to A Current Affair, tell them the story of Ben because this is happening all the time in Thailand for Australian guys to come over here and suspicious things happen and them go missing or die between the ages of 20 to 40. It's happening way too much and we've got to stop it happening. I just feel really helpless because I can't ever change anything. I can't help. I feel guilty. I feel helpless. I'm never going to see my brother married. I'm never going to have nieces and nephews. Everyone would say that Ben did live his life to the full. He probably lived more of a life than a lot of people have in his 31 years. I still have dreams where Ben's in them and they are so real. We're hanging out together. In those dreams, I don't know that he's not here anymore and we hang out together. And 10 years later, I still remember him in those dreams absolutely perfectly. had a star named after him. I wrote um, a note to him. Ben, I make this promise to you that I will do my best to live a life that will make you proud. I want you to look down from your star and smile and send us your love. Through me, you will still be able to make people laugh, help people and make a difference. There's some stains on your photo. Griefline manage Australia's only dedicated loss and grief national telephone counselling service, providing anonymous support and specialist counselling services to individuals and families. Online counselling is also available nationally. Call them on 1300 845 745 or online at griefline.org.au.